Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. None of the greats had to, had to have their story conclude like Daniel Craig's. And I was like, why? <laughs> I thought it was a little too long. And uh, a little? Three hours. I'm being, I'm being nice, Arch. It was a little too long. And I thought the chemistry between Leah Sadu and Daniel Craig didn't match up. So yeah. I have issues so. with time to die. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. Well, here we are again with another uh, look at what's going on in the world of entertainment, the ever-changing world, and uh, Lou Katz, always so good to be with you. Always fun. Always look forward to these, Arch, for sure. You bet. Twisting the knobs. That's me. The knob <laughs> twister. Checking the levels. <laughs> and uh, a very special day because uh, we always, I always love checking in with uh, my great friend, the entertainment reporter for WTOP Radio. Uh, let's also remind people he's an adjunct professor of film at uh, American University. He's known as the Academy Award savant, and uh, we all know and love him as Jason Fraley, yeah. WTOP. Hey, thanks for having me back. I love, love, love coming on this podcast. Always good to talk to you, Jason. And so uh, let's start as we always do. What are you watching these days? Well, these days I have, uh, I've been watching, uh, I have a film recommendation and a TV recommendation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. oddly, they both have the word mass in them, <laughs> but oh. they're very different. <laughs> so the, the, the film that I'm really digging on at the moment, it's, ca it's called Mass. Um, it's a, it's a, a drama um, uh, starring Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton as one set of parents. Um, and on the other side, we have another set of parents played by Ann Dowd and Reed Burney. Now, um, both of these parents, uh, this is one of those you don't want to spoil, but in the trailer, uh, she, uh, Martha Plimpton says a line I will quote here, so it's not a spoiler. Um, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton are the parents of, of the, a son who has been killed, and Ann Dowd and Reed Burney are the parents of the son that killed their son so it's basically a reconciliation meeting that you've seen after many different you know you know you'd hear stories of like the charleston church shooting or you know gosh virginia tech columbine all of these shootings and and you'd hear those stories of the parents that say i forgive you to the the shooter and you're like how on earth could they dig deep enough to do that well this is what this movie tries to do these parents it's it's there's nothing you know snazzy about it it's just four actors sitting around a table in a church hall trying to hash out what happened. But what I really appreciate about it, appreciated about it was writer-director um, Fran Kranz. It drops you into the story where there's not a bunch of phony exposition where they're telling the audience what happened because these four characters know what happened. There's, there was a tragedy involved involving their family. So it's almost unfolds like a mystery we're watching to see their glances in between the words, the sparse dialogue, you know, what actually happened here? And, and as it unveils, I just, it's powerhouse performances. I would, I recommend Oscar nominations for, for all four of them. When you talk about blame on your part, I want to know what you're referring to. It's very hard to answer. Well, please try. It's not just one thing. Tell me about your son. What would you like to know? Everything. I want to know everything. Why? Why do I want to know about your son? Because he killed mine. This sounds like it's uh, Oscar bait. And uh, I would just add that Ann Dowd 
has certainly come forward as one of those great actresses. She, I suppose, is best known for The Handmaid's Tale, the series. Yeah, uh, she was all, she was terrifying in that, but also terrifying if anyone saw her in, in uh, The Leftovers. She was the head yeah. of the, the guilty remnant. Remember that creepy <laughs> uh, thing that 9-11 now? Yeah, but man, uh, she's creepy. And then Jason Isaacs, too, is known for for terrifying roles, you know, as, as Malfoy's dad and Harry Potter. And, and what was it? The, the Patriot, the Mel Gibson movie. He was that evil yeah, yeah. killing uh, Heath Ledger. But um, but yeah, so it's nice to see a different side to them. And Plimpton, too. Can that film find an audience in theaters? You know, I, especially, I think <laughs> I it would have been. I to. <laughs> I, no, I mean, I I, it, I was excited just to see it. But yeah, I mean, it's uh-huh. it's such a heavy topic. And we've been through such a heavy time. And people, so many people aren't even really still going to the theaters. It's sort of, you know, some people are, some people aren't. And so I really don't think something like a heavy drama like this will catch on with audiences, if I'm being completely honest. But I really yeah. do think we'll hear about it come award season, I think, or at least I think we should. Um, I think it's more of an acting powerhouse, a, a display for four actors to get in there. It's almost like a, a live table read in a way, because literally it's just the four of them sitting at a table the whole time. But it's the power. The performances are so good. I just don't, you know, I don't see people turning out to see it like they would, you know, Bond or a, a superhero movie. So now right now it's uh, theaters only. Yeah, I believe it just opened in D.C. I think last last Friday, mm-hmm. I believe. But I'm sure it'll come Maybe. to streaming. If you want to wait, I'm sure it'll hit streaming in like a, a next month or so. Well, I mean, it certainly sounds like an awards contender. And maybe it will find an audience over the next six months. I guess that's about all we can hope for. But um, and then on the TV side, I'm watching Midnight Mass, not not to be confused with Mass, but it's a it's perfect for the Halloween season. Um, it's on Netflix, the latest by Mike Flanagan, actually an alumni of Towson University. I just discovered. Oh. Here. I did not know that, but um, he's sort of the the late the the new cool thing in Hollywood in terms of creepy horror stuff because he did the Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor. I just finished that as well. Um, but this one's is the third one called Midnight Mass. It's set on a mysterious island where um, there there's this island. Right. But it, it's not. How do I say it's not it's not a lost island. It's not in the jungle. It's it's a town. It, they use the island to kind of keep everyone sort of self-contained. It's this small town and it's all set around this priest that holds Midnight Mass. Um, it's sort of a slow burn first episode. We tend to dislike mysteries. We feel uncomfortable not knowing. The more that we know, the less we bend, the more brittle we become. It's okay to just look at the world and say, why, 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 I don't understand. If you stick with it by like episode two or three, you'll be hooked. And especially there's a big reveal that happens on episode four. It's only like a, what, seven episode miniseries. So you can knock uh-huh, it out pretty uh-huh. fast. Yeah, but it, it doesn't go where you think at all. It's definitely for the the horror crowd. It's it's got some you know CGI you know monster stuff going on. But I just think the way it's unveiled is is really well done, and and it doesn't take any you know cheap way ways out. I I I, I hate to reveal any more, but I thought it was so dang good. <laughs> and and who are the actors again? I'm gonna actually look up the guy's name because I don't want to get it wrong, but. He actually reminds me, the guy that plays the priest, the way he carries himself 
reminds me of Anthony Perkins in as Norman Bates. He kind of oh, is, really? Yeah, he kind of <laughs> slinks around and he seems very unassuming. You know what I mean? Oh. Um, the lead actor is is this guy Zach Guilford, um, and the lead actress is Kate Siegel, who was in I think is it might be Flanagan's wife. I think the creator. Oh and yeah, she, she was yeah. in Bly Manor as well. But I just thought it was was great. It's uh, the the guy I'm trying to think of as the priest is Hamish Linklater. I don't think he's related to Richard. Linklater. Huh. But um, I'm telling you, it's worth watching for his performance alone. If you like creepy stuff, if you like sort of those more old school, old school, you know, like you know, like Rosemary's Baby, you know, that kind of. Yeah. It's it's a, it's oh, a nice. Man. It's a bit. It's a throwback to like biblical horror like that because it's set in a church. You know, they're all taking communion. Miracles uh, start uh. to happen. But there might be a little something to it. Oh, and by the way, I have to say, just uh-huh. like Bly, just like Bly Manor, um, uh-huh. it stars Henry Thomas of, uh, oh, you know, Elliot from Elliot. He was in Bly Manor as well. And so I don't, I, 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 I know it's been out for a couple of weeks, but approaching Halloween, I would definitely recommend everybody check it out. Are you watching Succession? I on, uh, love Succession. Um, did I you see the I new episode? No. So I didn't see that just the season three premiere just yeah. happened just like dropped two days ago. Or night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my wife and I are, are, are have a, a date night to watch it probably tonight, but, uh-huh. um, we, I, I love the way that season two ended, um, where, you know, the, the father of the family, the patriarch gives that, that little smile. He gave a little smile almost like he was hoping that his son Kendall was going to call him out on in, you know, uh-huh. live in front of uh-huh. the world. You know, so you're root, you're rooting for uh, the son to finally call out the old man, um, and there there was even like a, a Fredo Michael style, you know, kiss of betrayal right before it, right? But it left you with Brian Cox with that smile, like he was like proud of his son, almost like he goaded yeah. him into doing it. So I'm, have you, have you? I'm, I'm curious to see does season three pick up there, and and you see why he's exactly. sort of winning. Yes, <laughs> I mean it picks up like uh, five minutes later. He's our dad, but he was going to send me to jail. He'd do the same to all of us. Chevy, you okay? Are you part of this family or not? If I back you against death, you would need to let me take over. Whoa, Nelly! Jeremy Strong is uh, in his car and uh, on the phone and putting his team together. So it does pick right up. I find it a little exhaustive. You know, it's a little exhausting now. Interestingly, you know, when I was fishing around trying to uh, find uh, season three, I started on season one, episode one, kind of by mistake, but uh, that kind of uh, re-prepped me for uh, the new season. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have enough juice to keep this thing going, but uh, I will try it again next week. Uh, I would just say that after the finale of the second season, the starting number three, where now everybody is reassembling and the players are are regrouping uh you know is a it was a little bit of a dip uh from uh, the way it ended but what can you expect i'll manage my Uh, expectations but uh yeah i mean (laughs) you're right the the first two seasons were some of the best television we've seen in a while um profane as they were but but um (laughs) But yeah, I'm, I'm. You know, it's funny you say that, Arch. I even even what we call the best shows. I'm start. I start to. I'm starting to lean towards these limited series where you know it's a self-contained uh-huh. story. Mm-hmm. But that's my old school movie going hard, where I appreciate a 
self-contained story. It's a lost art. Hey, a, a beginning, middle, end. Wow. Right. Um, but these seasons, you know, they, now that we're in season three, again, I, I'm excited to watch it. But you're right. It's like, how long can we stretch certain stories out? I feel the same way about the morning show. I started watching that on uh, Apple, and I really found the first few episodes kind of exhilarating. You know, it was a riff on the Matt Lauer uh, Today Show situation. Uh, it's uh, Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, as you know. But now, in the middle of their second season, I'm just kind of exhausted by it. <laughs> I just, it's just like, <laughs> give me, I need a rest from the morning show, I think. I, I, they just jack up every episode so much that I want kind of the happy medium. Are you watching that at all? I haven't caught up with that yet, no, but... It's, um... You know, it's part of the Reese Witherspoon branding. I mean, she certainly is a brand now. She's, uh, she's quite prolific and uh, really something. Right now in their second season, I'm just... <laughs> I, just I just need a break. I need <laughs> to take a nap so the other one that's been exhausting me is impeachment on fx american crime story did you start on that i haven't yet I, um I, yeah. you know why it was i think it was because of listening to this podcast <laughs> I, you, you said you said you had a hard time you know just, past beanie feldstein you know it's and, so and, icky <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, at some point, I guess I'd probably like to catch up with it because I really did enjoy the OJ one, the American Crime oh. Story. I, oh, I that thought was... that was so well done and touched on, you know, race in America, really from from all angles. And um, Sterling K. Brown and, uh, uh, you know, and it was it was really great. I thought it was really well done. Uh, one of the best TV series ever, I think, was the OJ right up there with The Wire and uh, the ones you always hear about. Well, I'm kind of doing a mea culpa on FX impeachment because last week they did, I think it must have been episode six or seven, it might have been seven, where uh, the FBI confronts uh, Monica Lewinsky in the food court of the uh, Pentagon City Mall and takes her to a room at the Ritz-Carlton and interrogates her. And uh, as icky as I have felt, and as many misgivings as I have about Beanie Feldstein, episode seven was about as good as an episode of TV can get. Well, there you go. And, and then plus the, all the local ties. And, and Clinton was just uh, in and out of the hospital this week, too, right? Yeah, I wonder about that. I wonder, is this show making him sick? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be. I say that it's not because it is not a good reflection on Bill Clinton. Clive yeah. Owen as Clinton is just uh, immature and creepy. That's that's what you get from his performance. Now, I'm not saying that about uh, Clinton, the person, but that's that's the the presentation of this. I'm doing a mea culpa. You're coming around it, on I, it. It's getting better than than I expected. Well, there so you go. there you are. There you go. 
So I want to ask you about the box office. What do you think about box office these days and the films that are uh, succeeding in theaters? You know, it's No Time to Die, Halloween Kills, Venom. Yeah, I I have a theory about box office where I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that these, you know, so we should tell everyone, yeah, so No Time to Die one, you know, before I mean, when, when Bond came out and then it uh, well, this week, this past weekend was Halloween Kills, the latest, and you know the the Michael Myers stuff. I think the opening box office to me doesn't reflect the quality of that individual movie because no one's seen it yet. The opening weekend box office reflects the existing brand. So people that loved Hi- Halloween 1978 and all the other ones come to see it and it gets a big boost on opening weekend people that love the james bond series who who maybe love skyfall or was it specter the previous one come out and see no time to die and it's this big opening weekend but to me i think it's the longer haul box office how long it sticks around that more speaks to the word of mouth and the actual quality of this particular movie now with bond um the way it sort of ends with you know wrapping up the daniel craig saga you know it, it it of all the bonds really um, you know a lot of the other bonds you know you could maybe pluck pluck a film out here or there and it really wouldn't mess with the continuity you dropped in on a spy caper it was you know solved with the gadgets and everything and then you moved on daniel craig really his five you know installment arc really with with casino royale was a total origin story you know skyfall was sort of a crown jewel in the middle and then no time to die is a definitive conclusion so i really do think of of all of the bonds you know connery's still my favorite and roger moore is right prolific and i gotta give a shout out to pierce brosnan that was my childhood yeah i I grew up playing that video game and watching that movie but um the golden (laughs) eye but um craig craig is Craig is right up there, maybe, you know, right up there Uh with Connery for me in terms of telling a a complete story. Now, in terms of box office, I think that when people hear that it's his last one and hear how it ends, they want to run out and sort of see that. But I've had missed I've had mixed reaction to that from from people I've sort of polled, you know, family, friends, colleagues, where some people it works as a plus where, oh, my gosh, this is this is going to be one of uh, one of the standout bonds in the whole series because of the the definitive conclusion oh. of this whereas other people are like no i don't <laughs> i what give me my you know this is my routine i want another bond flick um but i really so depending where you come down on it i heard tim gordon was like yeah last la- week, i was about know? to tell you last week our friend tim gordon was on this podcast and he is not happy with <laughs> no time to die <laughs> well it i think either way it's it's clear that it's hollywood's attempt to sort of do wipe the slate clean and maybe try to spin off the series or reboot it in a in a new way since craig will be gone maybe they'll do a you know a female 007 or get a person of color like and everyone's clamoring for idris elba get stringer yeah, bell in there yeah. but at the same time, then you then there's other people that say, you know, th- then it's like Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford. You know, it's it's it, I don't I really I even myself don't know how I feel, because in a way, the franchise itself, you know, Bond's the ultimate, you know, womanizer. And it sort of feels out of touch with the Me uh-huh. Too era now. Yeah, yeah. And yet that was sort of the whole shtick in the first place. So can it really be Bond if he's not drinking his martini? You know, you know what I mean? It's going to be it's... something completely different. So. Yeah. So what do you do? (laughs) 
Do we just let it? Maybe we should just let it end. I don't know. Or, or I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to spin off with a different agent. Maybe it's not 007. Maybe it's 008 or 009 or I don't know. But well, they'll have to figure that one out. And I think they're also <laughs> going to have to figure out the position of movies in our culture now. You know, where movies fit in with streaming and television and uh, everything else. And I always bring it up on this podcast because I'm struggling with it myself. Yeah. On another topic, <laughs> <laughs> one of the many things I like about you is you are the Academy Award savant. <laughs> we can ask you any questions about the Academy Awards and you can answer them. I don't Lord. know why, other than just loving movie history and being obsessed with uh, trying to figure out what makes the great movies great. Other than that, I don't know why it's lodged in my brain. Just talking with you all the time, probably, Arch. <laughs> We're the only, you know, it's like our secret language. Lou, Lou Katz is in the control room. Ask Jason a, a question about any Academy Award year. Any year? Any say a year, year. Say a year and I'll try to name the best picture. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do a little reversal on this one. Uh -huh. Was Frank Sinatra ever nominated for any kind of award? Did, he, he, he did for, multiple movies, didn't he, right? Didn't he? Oh, yeah. Didn't he win yeah. for From Here to Eternity? That, that, that was I, 1953. That movie came out. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm deeply thrilled and, and very moved, and I really, really don't know what to say because this is a whole new kind of thing, you know, I song and dance man type stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm terribly pleased, and if I start thanking everybody, I'll do a one-reeler up here, so I better not. He was also in, I think my favorite of his was, um, was Manchurian Candidate, right? In 62. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Gosh, that was so good. I know they remade So much it, but... better than the remake. So much better. Well, yeah, I, I love the actors in the remake, Denzel and everything, uh -huh. but the they changed the ending. I think they changed who yeah. gets shot in that final, yeah. you know, with the sniper yeah. show. But it was didn't Sinatra? He was friends with JFK, and they had it pulled after the yeah, assassination. I, that was the story I always heard: is right. that once uh, the Kennedy assassination happened, uh, Sinatra had Manchurian candidate pulled because yeah. it's about a political assassination. And the beginning of that, when the camera circle, it's it's like a 360 degree circle that Frankenheimer does. And it goes from, oh. it goes from, you know, the, them being brainwashed, tortured in what is it? Korea, Man Manchuria. And, yeah, right. and, um, and intercuts it with the, what the flower shop, the greenhouse uh, ladies club or something. <laughs> it's creepy. <laughs> and Angela Lansbury, by the way, with oh, the solitaire. Man. man, we could talk man. all day about Manchuria. <laughs> Not all, and you know, the implications of Angela Lansbury and the the implications of the of the playing cards and uh, and of possibly uh, Lawrence Harvey uh, uh, breaking off and getting married are just creepy. <laughs> Last yeah, week, Will Haygood was on this podcast, and we both know him as the. Um, writer for the washington post who wrote the article the butler mm -hmm. that became the basis of the film the butler and he's written several books and now he has a new book about a uh, hundred years of black cinema and one of the uh, colorization is the name of his book and it's it's really a deep dive into uh, culture of the last hundred years 
But one of the stories he tells is the story of the missing Oscar, Patty McDaniel's missing Oscar. Did you ever know that story? I didn't until I heard your podcast last week. Um, I so I knew that. I mean, everyone knows the trivia that Hattie McDaniel was the first African American mm-hmm. to win an Oscar, as well as the controversy of it being, you know, a, a mammy stereotype and the fact that she had to sit in the back of the room and it took forever yeah. to come up to the stage. You know that right there was she not allowed to go to the Atlanta premiere either. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, wasn't and, allowed. Um, but I did not know the story until hearing your podcast, your interview that that Oscar is is lost to time it, it, what happened to it, it was donated to howard university and uh, howard displayed it for some years and uh, the story i remember reading in the washington post years ago was that uh, in protest possibly around the time of the 1968 riots someone broke into the case took the oscar and threw it in the bottom of a lake oh and uh you, with all of your trivia knowledge, I've, I've been wanting to ask if you knew that story, because a lot of people are surprised about it. And I had heard it off and on over the years. No, I did not know that one. It's, yeah, yeah, it's I wanted to say surprising, but the state of the world, it's sadly not surprising that that would yeah. happen. But the other night, uh, Gone with the Wind was on, and Gina and I watched it for about five minutes and were just just bowled over with laughter. We couldn't watch it. You know, oh, that Ashley, is Ashley. That is a fascinating <laughs> in terms of you know it's, looking looking back at movie history. I mean, it uh-huh, is uh-huh. it is still if you adjust for inflation it's still the the highest grossing movie of all time and part and it that's it's always that always it pains me because i I almost wish that star wars which is at number two adjusted for would overtake it so because i take i tend to agree that we should adjust for inflation whenever you see these bonds it's like ah no time to die highest and you're like actually no it's thunderball and then goldfinger if you adjust but um it's the only fair way to do it but the all roads lead through gone with the wind in in that conversation so so you're like, ah, but uh, but yeah, you know, it 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 really romanticized the the slaveholding South. Um, and and so I think I think it will slowly fall on a lot of the the top 100 lists. I mean, the AFI still had it like in like the top five or top 10 the last time they did it. But I, re- I think if they redid that list, it, it would fall. And because we've seen so many movies where, you know, like 12 Years a Slave and things since then that sort of showed what was lurking off screen and gone with the wind. And so, yes, it just really has not passed the test of time. Uh, And and all we could do was laugh, I think, because it made us feel so uncomfortable. Uh, So so there you are. Uh, Well, let's take a break now and listen from uh, Lou Katz for the latest news from Hound Radio, our enabler and uh, the uh, system that makes this podcast possible. And that latest news, Arch, is very scary. Here's what Hound Hound Radio has planned for your Halloween. For Halloween, Hound Radio is channeling our inner wolf. I got a popcorn ball. I got a fetch ball. I got a pack of gum. I got a rock. And you sweetest treat of all your favorite hound aween hits all halloween long happy halloween from the scariest station on the internet hound radio well we are coming up to halloween and uh jason uh 
tell me your favorite horror films. Oh, I, I, this is a topic I love. Um, in, ter <laughs> in terms of recent years, I hands down get out. I thought Jordan Peele made a masterpiece where if you, if you, wa if you yeah, watch it yeah, on multiple yeah, watch, yeah. Um, you know, the second and third and fourth and fifth viewing, it just gets better and better because you see every line of dialogue of, you know, mm -hmm. oh, when our when grandma and grandpa died, we couldn't bear to let them go. And oh, yeah, they really couldn't. But man, it's, it's, so, <laughs> it's so good. In terms of the classics, everyone wants to say The Exorcist because of Georgetown and, and, and it really right. was creepy. Yeah. But you know right. what? I... Personally, I always I my I prefer Rosemary's Baby, and that's a, yeah, a Rose, tough conversation. I'm a Rosemary's Baby fan. All right, the way. it is it yeah. is, and, and it's hard to say, you know, because of the you know Polanski type. But in terms of a movie, it is just to, if I wish more horror movies or directors would study that because of that, it's like a slow burn mystery that it just that finally erupts into this you know biblical proportions of horror. I, I just think that is the cream of the crop. I don't think you can really. It's, you can't make a better horror movie than that. What have you done to it? What have you done to its eyes? He has his father's eyes. What are you talking about? Guy's eyes are normal. What have you done to him, you maniac? Satan is his father, not Guy. Um, Especially the way in which it preys on your imagination. Yeah. I mean, they, they never show you Rosemary's baby. You, right. you're just left to imagine and much of the... Um, of the coven material is just kind of gauzy and uh, not specific. And that's, that's more frightening than uh, the exorcist, which uh, shows you everything. Have you ever well, yeah. watched uh, the original uh, Wolfman? Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, but is that close it Claude Rains? Uh, Claude Rains and, and Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney. Is, is the yeah. wolf man. He gets bitten by Bella, the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Ospinskaya. Yeah. Oh, Bella, the wolf, the wolf, the wolf, the full moon is out. I loved it, but it's another one of those films that really doesn't pass the test of time, especially <laughs> because Lon Chaney is visiting his father in the little uh, European village. And he gets a telescope and he's spying on this girl as she like gets dressed and moves around her room. And it's like, Ooh, what, <laughs> what kind of a creep are you? Exactly. Exactly. Those, I know you love those old, you know, monster movie, the universal ones and the mummy and stuff, but I want to also give a shout out. So if Rosemary's baby is my favorite classic and get out's my favorite mm -hmm. mo recent yeah, one. Yeah. Three from that I actually grew up with in like, let's say like the nineties that I loved are the silence of the lambs. I don't think it gets oh, better God, much better than God. that. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. Two, most, most movies would kill to have one creepy villain that mm -hmm. has two. Um, and ahead of its time with feminist stuff too. But um, all right. And then um, in terms of a slasher scream scared the living daylights out of me. That first scene, I remember watching it alone in my house uh like it was on, ca <laughs> on cable or something and i was in like six, in your six house. Or, i was like sixth or seventh grade watching that and <laughs> expecting the phone to ring that do you like scary movies hello hello who is this you tell me your name i'll tell you mine <laughs> i don't think so what's that noise popcorn you're making popcorn well i'm getting ready to watch a video really what well just some scary movie 
like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. And then the third one from my from the 90s. This is um I'll tell a story about how I went to see it. I my buddies and I were wanted to go see Scream 3. We wanted, you know, it was an R-rated movie. We got in. Uh-huh. And the usher came down with the flashlight and said, you're not old enough because we weren't. We weren't old enough to see a rated R movie. So they kick us out of Scream 3 before it starts. We're, we're just sort of lingering in the lobby, you know, shuffling our feet, looking down. Oh, this is so sad. And the the cashier, the guy at the desk, the box office says, well, you know, there's a new creepy ghost story out. It's by some director nobody knows, but... You know, you, you should try it. It's a ghost story. You know, maybe this is your, this will be your solace for Missing Scream 3. So we go in, the music starts. It's the sixth sense. And oh. I was buried, buried into my seat. Scared the, I was like Haley Joel Osment. I was terrified by all the, I'm getting goosebumps now when he's like, you know, the prickly feelings on the back of your neck. Um, and then of course, then I was on board. I thought it was a masterpiece before the ending. And then uh -huh. when that whole ending, well, everybody knows oh, it now with Bruce God. Willis, but yeah. my, we walked out of there, minds blown. And so glad we didn't see Scream 3. <laughs> I, I think it holds up the way Shyamalan uses the color red and you know his oh, yeah. his his career sort of tanked after. Well, Signs um Unbreakable is good and Signs was pretty good and The Village was even pretty good, but like after that he tanked hard. But man, the six I, I heard halfway good things about old, his latest one. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm but dying to I'm dying to catch up with I'm, that too. That came out. Yeah. yeah. Of course, but I the sixth am sense old. I think holds up. <laughs> That's a, what theater was this that kicked you out? Oh, it was in, it's not there anymore. It, it was at a theater in, in Frederick, Maryland on the, uh -huh. what was called the Golden Mile. It's not so golden uh -huh. anymore, but um, mm. it was at uh, at a shopping center over, over there that, that used to have a movie theater, but it's not there anymore. But I'll always, I'll always remember that. You know, sometimes you get, you get positive, pleasant surprises. Um, oh my God, I know we're running out of time, but speaking of that, uh -huh. another pleasant yeah. surprise of a horror movie. Uh -huh. I went to, I wanted to try to go see See, what was the ski movie with the avalanche? Um, it wasn't a horror movie. Oh, why, why, oh. Am, I, why am I blanking yeah. on it? Where the guy runs away from his family. Yes. You know what I'm talking uh, about? It was a foreign film and then it was a remade film. And it's the, and the guy is the guy in uh, Succession. But uh, as I often say, I'm going to retitle this uh, podcast. <laughs> what was the name of that movie? It, I'm I'm so, sad. That I'm so sad I'm blanking on it. Anyway, I went to go see that, uh -huh. but but they had the um they had the theaters mislabeled. It was a small indie theater. They had the theater. Yeah. It was the West End Cinema. That's not there anymore. And so I go in to see. I'm I'm hoping to see this drama Oscar nominee about the skiing and the family. And it winds up being the Baba Duke. <laughs> The Australian horror movie oh about the the, chi the children's book that comes alive and scares them. <laughs> so then I had to jet across town to go see the skiing movie. And uh, but there you go. So the Baba Duke was a surprise, and the Sixth Sense was a surprise. Uh, pleasant surprises for me. <laughs> so uh, let me start to wrap up here. First, I think our recommendations for the weekend. You really like Mass and Midnight Mass on uh, Netflix. Yes. And I am actually going to uh, do a turn and uh, recommend uh, impeachment. I'm coming around to it. I think it's pretty good. 
And I want to mention, too, that you are following a story for WTOP on the possibility of someone taking over the Uptown Theater. And the story seems to be that everyone is jumping a little too anxiously on it and that it, if it's going to happen, everyone is going to have to wait for it to happen. Uh, anything yeah, on sounds, that? Yeah, it sounds like talks are in the works that, you know, Landmark is exploring it. There, There's meetings being held about, mm. you know, a liquor license for a multi-use facility, which would mean a movie theater. Um, yeah. And there's been lots of reports in local publications and blogs about it, um, and people get excited and tweet about it. And I, I'm excited too. I love the Uptown. Um, right. But when I when I reached out to Landmark for comment, their their oh. marketing person said, "Whoa, whoa, pump pump the brakes on yeah, it. Um, yeah, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll announce it when there's something to announce." Mm. But their you know their their real estate um, Landmark's person is is reaching out and giving quotes saying that that it's likely to happen so i guess everyone wait before we get excited um but i think it could happen i love the uptown and i just thought of the movie yeah. it's called force majeure was the scheme uh, thank great you. movie thank you. but i saw the thank baba you. duke instead <laughs> just but yes fingers crossed for the uptown from the oscar savant hey jason fraley it's always so great to have you on the podcast uh lou katz you're our enabler and the guy that makes this show possible. We'll be back next week. Have a special episode next week. We're going to do an entire episode on Dick Dizel and his career as Count Gore. <laughs> what do you think? I'm scared. <laughs> a legend. <laughs> we'll see you next time. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.